Welcome to Wellversed, where we bring biblical principles of governance to governmental leaders and you. This is the Wellversed podcast. I'm so excited to have Dr. Wayne Grudem on. He's a hero. He's a hero to so many of us. He's, he's an intellectual. He's absolutely brilliant. But he has a passion for the Lord that is quite stunning, quite remarkable. And he is fighting two health issues, Parkinson's and prostate cancer. He gave me permission to share that. So I'm going to start with a prayer for him and all of us, the World Prayer Network, all of us join together right now and praying for Dr. Gruden. Lord, we ask your touch upon his body right now in the name of Jesus. We just ask the finger of God to go into the parts of the body that are wounding, that are affected, and healing supernaturally flow, we pray, into his body. We come against every evil plan that, that, that the enemy has schemed against him. We need our brother. We, we need our brother healthy. We need him well. We need him, or we need him more years. And so we pray for a release of healing upon his body. And we agree together with all those who prayed for him before. For this touch from the Lord, in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Uh, Dr. Grudem, I, I will ask you to take the first two minutes and give your life history, where you were born, schools <laughs> you went to, uh, your family, uh, books you've written, and where you teach now. So take the first two minutes, do that, and then we're going we're gonna to talk about an incredibly important topic. Well, I grew up in a small town of 286 people in northern Wisconsin, a town called Jim, <clears throat> Jim Falls. First grade was the first row in the classroom, second grade was the second row, third grade was the third row, etc. And uh, then we moved to Eau Claire, Wisconsin, a bigger city to get in a better school system. I um, went to Harvard as an undergraduate, major in economics. Thought I was going to go to law school and go into politics, but... Instead, I went to seminary to become a pastor. God changed my life direction. And in the middle of seminary, a friend who was in doctoral work in England said, uh, I would enjoy coming for a PhD. So I left Westminster Seminary with an MDiv, went to Cambridge, England, did a PhD in New Testament. Topic, the gift of prophecy in 1 Corinthians. Um, Let's see, I went to Bethel College in St. Paul, taught undergraduate theology for four years, four and a half, and 20 years at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School in Deerfield, Illinois. And I've been 22 years here at Phoenix Seminary in Arizona. I'm not retired. I'm down to teaching one class per year and full-time the rest of the day writing. Um, I just finished revising a commentary on First Peter in the Tyndall New Testament commentary series. I had published that in 1986 and we updated it. Uh, and then I revised a textbook called Christian Ethics. It's going to be subtitled Living a Life Pleasing to God. And that should come out late next year from Crossway. Um, I published a book called Systematic Theology that God has blessed for uh, use to a lot of people around the world. And I'm thankful for that. I've been a member of the Translation Committee for the English Standard Version, ESV, since its beginning, and I was general editor of the ESV Study Bible. Married 50, 
53 years, 54 years, and uh, three grown adult sons, all married and with children. So much blessing from God, and I'm thankful. I hear this song, all my life you have been faithful, all my life you have been good to me, and I, I get tears because God has truly been faithful in so many ways, and I'm thankful to him. <clears throat> I don't know, is that two minutes? <laughs> that was crazy, remarkable life, and and you're still going. You're still going, uh, Doctor Grudem. You wrote a book called "The Poverty of Nations." It's clearly, in a sense, a response to the famous Adam Smith book, "The, the uh, Wealth of Nations," written in 1776. That's sort of a classic. And you wrote this book uh, with Barry Asmus, I believe, an economist. Yeah, there it is: "The Poverty of Nations." This is an astounding book, folks. This was amazing. My wife laughs because I've carried it with me so many places on, on <laughs> and uh, I, and I've, I've started reading it over several times because I allow too many lapses to go before and I don't get it completed. I, Dr. Grudem, if I may call you Wayne, Wayne, I have a problem of falling asleep on airplanes because the, uh -huh. the vibration, the sound of the motor puts me to sleep. Some yeah, people would not consider that a problem. <laughs> and and so she jokes that I, I carry books with me, but on the plane, I always fall asleep so quickly. <laughs> That's how I stay alive, quite frankly, because I generally get on the plane pretty sleep deprived. And so I sleep. Your, your, your book has been in more countries with me, <laughs> uh, and I, I'm immensely grateful for it. And folks, we want to make sure you know about this book. Talk to me about, this is a critical area, because we see the poor and disenfranchised around us. Uh, you you lay out the principles, biblical principles, for how a nation flourishes or how it walks in poverty, including, and this is worth the price of the book, an appendix in the end that I think lists, if I'm not mistaken, I'm going by memory here, 78 principles, biblical principles of how a nation flourishes economically. Did I, do I have the right number on that? Do you remember? Well, it's a little embarrassing. It was published with the claim that we had 78 principles, and I recounted, and there were 79. <laughs> <laughs> you, so, you more than what they asked for. Okay. It just proves that the book is not like the Bible in, in here. The Bible is in here. <laughs> so, 79. Okay. Yeah. Would, you, um, would you take a moment now and talk to us about the poverty of nations? Well, we know from many observations, reports, and summaries that there are still millions of people in the world living below any kind of decent level of economic well-being and living in poverty. And the question is, why? Um, the cover of this book, The Poverty of Nations, is color-coded according to the prosperity of people in the nation. So that if you're born in uh, Norway, Germany, England, Canada, Australia, South Korea, um, United States, France, Italy, Japan, these are wealthy nations and you have a pretty good chance of being fairly well off economically. If you're born in Bangladesh, Afghanistan, um, Uganda, uh, any place in Sub-Saharan Africa, North Korea, Cuba, 
likely you're going to be poor because those nations are underdeveloped economically. Jim, I was at a conference in London uh, speaking on Christians in business and a couple there uh, from Nairobi, Kenya, business people, were talking with me after one of the sessions. Uh, and the wife turned to me and said, Wayne, why is Africa so poor? Are we under a curse? And I was just astounded by the question. And Jim, I could not answer a word. I, I had no, I was totally blank in my mind. I didn't know what to say. I couldn't answer her. I didn't know why Africa was so poor. Now I believe I know. But it took some investigation, and it turns out that countries that follow biblical teachings about government and about economic systems and about personal property and about productivity uh, prosper economically, and those that do not fail to prosper. What we found out in our investigation, and my colleague Mary Asmus, an economist, worked with me on this book, we found out that no country in history has ever been brought out of poverty by foreign aid, by aid from other countries. The only way that countries have risen out of poverty is through producing their own prosperity. We see examples of that. South Korea, for instance, was among the poorest countries in the world uh, 50 years ago, poor as many sub-Saharan African countries, but it produced its own prosperity and now it ranks in the 12, top 12 or top 20 per capita income countries in the world. Um, but North Korea under communist system, brutally anti-Christian, <clears throat> is probably the poorest country in the world with many people starving. So that's just one example. But we found out that um, there are characteristics of poor countries. We have um, <clears throat> leaders who cling to power and amass all the wealth for themselves. And I'm thinking, walking out of Entebbe uh, Airport in, uh, in Uganda, and seeing up on the hill the president of the country in a big white mansion and people in the down below here on the ordinary streets trapped in poverty. And that's a, that's a pattern in Latin America, it's a pattern in Sub-Saharan Africa, it's a pattern in Asian countries that are poor. Rich rulers who cling to power. And foreign aid flows into the government's coffers uh, and it makes it an attractive target for military takeover, coups, people battling for control of the government because it controls the purse strings and the most talented people go into government service because that's where the money is. This is not what government is supposed to be. It's supposed to be good service for the good of the people. So that's a summary of the book, um, and we go into many principles uh, that have to be implemented in a poor country. Let's talk about, name some of the principles. I, I know one of the uh, principles is uh, the issue of private property. Uh, that would be kind of for starters, in countries where private property is valued, you think of Marxism, Marx, Marxism or Leninism has the view that uh, private property is theft. In other words, they want the government to own all property. When we, when we drive down the street and we see a well-kept home, we know it probably is owned privately. We see one that's not kept, weeds are tall, front yard, <laughs> probably a rental. The, the person living there does not own it and or oftentimes it can be that case 
So private property is a foundational issue. Talk to us about that. And then just list, I know we can't go through 78 or 79 of them, but can you list for me just the kind of the top five or so okay. things that must be in, in a place that are biblical principles that must be present for a nation to flourish economically? Okay, well, I'll talk first about private property. In the Ten Commandments, there's a commandment, you shall not steal. That means that something belongs to you, it does not belong to me, and I'm not supposed to take it. Whether it's your ox or your donkey or your laptop or your car. You shall not steal establishes in the Ten Commandments the idea that there should be private ownership of property. And in fact, Jim, that's what sets us apart from the animal kingdom. Because we are able to own and develop property and develop and make use of the world's resources, subduing the earth as Adam and Eve were told by God uh, for uh, God's glory, imitating his, imitating in a faint way his work as creator. So when Karl Marx said the essence of communism may be summed up in a single sentence, abolition of private property, he established a system that is horribly de dehumanizing because it traps everybody under the guise of equality. It traps everybody in equal poverty. The, um, the alternative to that is allowing people to have, to keep the fruit of their own labor. Adam Smith, uh, 1776, The Wealth of Nations, said the laws of England, which allow people to keep the, I'm paraphrasing, the laws of England, which allow people to keep the fruit of their labor are enough to drive any nation from poverty to prosperity because people work when they are able to earn a reward and keep that reward and, and prosper by it. There's a very uh, sad book that makes you cry if you understand what's going on. It's called African Friends and Money Matters. I've forgotten the name of the author. But it talks about differences in attitude between Sub-Saharan Africa cultures and uh, Western cultures. And one of the differences is accumulation of property. So in Sub-Saharan Africa, in many communities, if you begin to get a little more money than your neighbor and have a little more food in your refrigerator, your neighbor will insist that you share with him or her so that everybody can be equal. And it means that people can't, they're continually frustrated by attempting to have capital accumulation to build businesses. And businesses are what develop resources and bring prosperity to a country. Uh, so there needs to be private ownership of property, low taxes so people can benefit from their work, the rule of law. Um, in the Bible, uh, Nathan came to David and rebuked him for committing adultery with uh, Bathsheba and uh, having Uriah put to death. And that's an illustration of the fact that even the king was not above the law of God in Israel. In... Uh, Many countries that are poor today, the wealthy people who have all the land are friends with the judges and the legal system, and they're above the law and they can do wrong and get away with it. So there needs to be rule of law, there needs to be low taxation, there needs to be a stable currency and a free market economic system. You don't know what's going to make your nation prosperous, but whether it's one item or another or another, but the free market system send signals to producers by price coming out of the intersection of supply and demand so that uh, incentives are given to those who produce goods useful for people and uh, incentives 
to get out of the business for people who produce worthless goods and they can't sell them. So a free market system based on private ownership of property. Um, Jim, I don't know if I should go. That's economic systems. Uh, yeah, what I've written down so far is private property, uh, low taxes, number two, number three, rule of law, number four, a free um, market economic system. Uh, can just keep going. These these are all what is amazing. And most people may not be aware that the Bible is a brilliant book on economics. Yes, these are followed. The the country flourishes. Uh, so continue right on if you don't mind. Well, there's one other economic factor that I missed that's very significant. It was developed by a Peruvian economist, Hernando de Soto, in a book called The Mystery of Capital. And that is, there must be a clear and easy path to private ownership, documented private ownership of property. De Soto points out that in many poor nations, it is almost impossible to uh, obtain legal title to a property. So um, he had a research team that ran an experiment and tried to set up a, 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 a tailoring, clothing tailoring shop in uh, Lima, Peru. And I've forgotten the exact number, but the research team, in order to get licensed to start this business and own that property, had to go through like 397 steps in 400 different offices with red tape, essentially, and, and paid large fees that were un, unattainable by poor people. Whereas in Australia, it would take 30 minutes to document the property or the business. Um, so the barriers erected to ownership of property, and you have people squatting on land, but no, no address. They can't borrow to start a business. They can't establish credit. Half the businesses in the United States are started by people who take a second mortgage on their home. But if you have a home with no, with no address and no documented title or ownership, uh, you can't do that. So um, easily access private ownership of property. Uh, I ran into this. Uh, I pastored for many, many decades, uh, four and a half decades, almost five. And then in building a church building in San Diego, I was then the pastor at Skyline. Uh, John Maxwell had started the process before me, elongated process, went through $6 million before we could even get a building permit. I finally got the building permit. But by the time we got the property done, because of radical environmentalism and government overreach, dealing with agencies, both federal, well, federal, state, and, and countywide, uh, it took us $52.5 to build a complex that should have been somewhere around maybe 18, 19, 20, 24 million, somewhere in that range. Yeah. <clears throat> and it was because of the massive overreach. I, I, I listed, I wrote a chapter in my book, God Will See You Through This. One chapter is on that. And I listed, uh, I, think, I think it might have been as many as 85 different major blockages to us building the building. Some of them were quite catastrophic. So with what we're facing and the loss of freedom in our own country right now on this very, very issue. But in the time we have left, and regretfully, we have very little time left. Our time's about up. Uh, can you just list, we don't have time to go into, can you list a number of the other principles, biblical principles, that causes a nation to flourish economically? Yes. I'm going to preface that by saying, when you spent that extra several million dollars, who profited from it? Government employees. Precisely. 
and they continue to vote for people who continue to steal non-productive uses of money. Okay, other other principles. Uh, some the courts show no favoritism or bias, but enforce justice impartially. Bribery and corruption are rare in government offices, and they're quickly punished, as opposed to bribery that's rampant in many poor countries. There are limits to the powers of the nation's government so that personal freedoms are protected. And here's a key one. The powers of the government are clearly separated between national, regional, and local levels and between different branches at the national level. So we have three separate branches of government. Yep. Separation of powers is a key biblical principle because human beings, when they get in power, tend to amalgamate it and they want more and more. Regular, fair, free, open elections. And more and more about government protection against crime. We don't see that with many of our cities now. Um, education requires universal education. Freedom to own property, freedom to buy and sell goods, freedom to travel, freedom to locate, relocate anywhere, freedom to start and register a business, freedom from demands for bribes, freedom to work in whatever job you want. We're going to skip nation's values. The society believes in a there is a God who will hold all people accountable for their actions. We're losing that today. The belief that God holds all people accountable. The society believes that God approves of several character traits related to work and productivity. That is the idea that God approves of creating goods from the resources of the earth. Jim, I had a little plastic disc worth maybe five cents and uh, I held it but a, a man down the street in the lens crafter's shop put in a machine pushed some buttons and out came a hundred dollar lens for my glasses he added one hundred dollars to the wealth of the nation that's productivity a woman in a, in a village who has a three dollar piece of cloth and sews it into a shirt she sells for $13, adds $10 of wealth to the nation. So nations need to be producing more prosperity by producing wealth. And this is pleasing to God. It's reflecting the creativity and wisdom of God in his creation. He's given us abundant, resourceful earth that we should use and develop with joy and thanksgiving to him. I'm not sure where we are on time, Jim. I can go and read other well, regretfully, regretfully, we are out of time. And uh, so let me just say, folks, I want you to get this book. Hold the book up if you can right now. Um, we're going to make this book available. You'll make a donation to Wellversed. Go to wellversedworld.org and write in the word poverty. Click on that poverty of nations and make a donation, and we will get a copy of this book to you. This is an exceptional book. Uh, even though it's a fairly techie read, it's actually a pretty easy read. It's very conversational. I it's think so. enjoyable uh, to read. It's not hyper-academic. It's intensely practical with unbelievable illustrations. So for any donation of any amount to Wellverse, we want to send you The Poverty of Nations by Dr. Wayne Grudem. Dr. Grudem, thank you so much. We're so appreciative of you. 
Uh, we're going to cut away and go uh, other interviews or we're actually in the prayer right now. But I, I want to thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please read the show notes for additional details if you would like a copy of the book or resources mentioned. Remember that WellVersed is a 501c3 tax-deductible nonprofit organization. We rely on your support and partnership. Don't forget to hit subscribe to keep up to date with our latest episodes. Leave us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. Thank you for listening to the WellVersed podcast. For more information, please go to www.wellversedworld.org.